Welcome to Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. A 40-something genderqueer person shares their observations, life stories, and the adventures of their journey through transition and beyond. And now, here's your host, the creator of it all, Charlie Sabrina Miller. Hey, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 80. It's so wonderful to be here. I've made it to 80. It's so exciting. And now let's listen to that band. Ah, yeah, there they are. I love them. They're the best. They are the best, and they get better every week. I swear they do. This week is Christine and the Toronto Girls Club. Yes, that's in direct relation to the episode title and the guest of this episode, Christine Newman. I'm so excited, but we're going to get to that in a moment. So, since we have a conversation this episode, we're going to skip all the normal things we normally do. Like, we normally have a list countdown. The one we've been working on is 25 famous women share the best advice they've either given or received. We're going to skip that this episode. However, we are going to have a secondary topic because it's poignant to the release date of this episode. More on that later. But we're going to skip listener feedback because this conversation with Christine is so chock full of wonderfulness and, and interesting tidbits and storytelling and just... It embodies the stream of consciousness podcast that this is, and I'm so excited. In fact, welcome new listeners. I'm sure this is your first episode because usually when there's a conversation with somebody, a guest on the show, there's always a few new listeners. Welcome aboard. It's nice to have you. Be sure your seats are reclined, your tray tables are down, and your drink or snack is in hand. Welcome back, returning listeners. Thank you, binge listeners, returning listeners, longtime listeners, all you lovely, lovely folks. It's wonderful to have you back again. Thanks for being here. Before we get to the whole main point of why we're here, let's just recap briefly last episode, number 79, titled Fears Revisited. I kind of went back to episode 27 and looked at the fears I listed the year before, went through those, and listed a few new fears. And the fears I covered were actually very rational fears. They weren't irrational, so they're workable. They're they're digestible. You know, you can work your way through them. At least I can work my way through them. But nonetheless, they're still fears and they're still valid, which is why I shared them on the show. The last episode was running a little short, so like I did a few episodes back, I decided to throw in some music that I didn't really know about when I was recording it. So in the editing process, I searched my library for the word fear and found Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. Now, I realize some people may think that it's in support of or advocating suicide, and it's not. If you do a quick Google search for Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, you'll find out that the lead guitarist thought he might have an early death. So he wrote it more as a love song or a message to say, don't fear death. It's inevitable. It happens to everybody. Don't fear it. It's there. It's the end. Don't fear the Reaper. Now, I first heard the song in high school in the late 80s. The song came out in 1976, but I heard it in the late 80s during high school when 
it started to play on the radio and I heard the opening riff and I said, wow, this is, this is good music. This is something. And it's stuck with me ever since. So I hope you enjoyed it. You can find that and all past episodes at Changes in Latitudes podcast at blogspot.com. That's where everything's kind of housed. I keep everything together there. You can find the show notes with all the links listed there ready for your disposal and usage. There's also an Amazon affiliate link, an iTunes link, a Stitcher link, a PayPal donate button. We've got it all, even a Facebook link. You can also find us on Facebook at Changes in Latitudes Podcast. And if you want to email me, Changes in Latitudes Podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at CIL Podcast. Consider becoming a patron of the show over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Changes in Latitudes Podcast. This episode is brought to us by our longtime patron and previous guest, Caitlin G. She was a guest on episode 29 and 30. She was one of the very first guests. Caitlin, thank you so much for being there from the beginning. And thank you so very much for being a patron. I love you for it. All right, enough of this housekeeping stuff. Let's get to the main topic. My conversation with Christine Newman, part one. We had such an amazing conversation that time literally flew by. And before I knew it, we're already running over two hours. And I knew right then and there that it was going to be a golden two-part episode. So, Christine, thank you so very, very much. Now, this was recorded on March 6, 2015. So it's almost a month old, but it's not that out of date at all. You can find a bio on Christine over at queervoices.com slash contributors slash Christine Newman. That link's going to be over at the show notes at Blogspot. But basically, Christine Newman is a transgender woman in her 50s who is active in all LGBTQIA plus communities in the Toronto area and beyond. She and I actually met on Twitter. She's a longtime listener. We connected through Twitter and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. She was a guest here. And I'm so excited to share it. One of the biggest things that she had just really completed was a news story for 16 by 9. Uh, and I've shared the link oh earlier this week on Facebook. And I shared it probably about two or three weeks ago over on Twitter. And I'm going to share it again because it needs to be seen and heard by everyone. It is an amazing 24-minute piece of work that should not go unnoticed. So Christine, thank you for one, bringing it to my attention, but more importantly, being part of it. Thank you. Now, the thing I liked about our conversation, it was very free flowing and very loose in conversation. We moved from one topic to the other so casually, so smoothly that, like I said, time flew by and I loved every moment of it, which in turn made it very easy to edit. The best way to reach Christine is at her Twitter account, HeyWriterGirl, H-E-Y-W-R-I-T-E-R-G-R-R-L. All right, enough of me. Let's get into the conversation. told people myself i said they said you know how have you lived through all that you've lived through and still have your sanity i said honey i got a wicked sense of humor and it's really twisted too yeah <laughs> i will find the damnedest stuff funny <laughs> and i said i can be rip roaring mad one minute 
and then I'll stop and think about it, and I'll find the funny piece about it. Yeah, yeah. I have to stop and remind myself to do that, but yeah. 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 By the way, I loved your last podcast. Oh, thank you. Was going so, shopping. Go, going shopping. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was laying in bed listening to it last night, and I was killing myself laughing. I was like, oh, my God, that's me. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that they, I got the, the similarity through line for a lot of uh, trans people because uh, it is a different experience for everyone. But when I hit the nail on the head and share those similarities it, it it makes it all worthwhile oh yeah and relatable and can, and people can connect and that's well that's the whole point of the show exactly and i said my my favorite fun parts with all of these things are um like i went to see laverne cox last year in march um, a good friend of mine who is a as he calls himself a practicing trans ally because he hasn't got it right yet <laughs> okay okay um, yeah, he, he's a he's a teacher with the Toronto District School Board, and he's a GSA support person. Um, and he uh, Mohawk is his alumni, and so they sent out to the uh, you know the alumnus, um, you know, listen, we've got you know if you want to buy VIP tickets, why don't you buy two and bring a friend? And so Gordon called me up and he said, hey, look, I this is coming up, you know. And, Laverne Cox in Hamilton. He said, and you know, they had this offer for VIP tickets, so I got two. Do you want to come with me? And I said, certainly. Uh, he said, we're going to actually meet her in person. No. <laughs> wow. So it's like, yeah, buried in my files, although it's a god awful picture, I have a picture with talking with myself standing next to Laverne Cox chatting with her. Nice. Yeah, she was here oh, a couple years ago. I think she kicked off the Pride Parade uh, or was right before the Pride Parade. I, I had just recently come out, so I wasn't <laughs> attending everything. Right. And, and with the family and everything, you know, schedules and such. But uh, a lot of the people I know through the Trans Center here or the LGBT Center here uh, have their pictures taken with her. It was wonderful mm. to see that she was able to give up that much time for photos. Oh, yeah. That, that's that's uh, we need more of that is what we need. Exactly. And and so, like, you know, and some people that I knew that were there got quite pissy because they didn't get a chance to meet her, even though they had VIP tickets. Well, they oversold the VIP tickets horrendously. Yeah, they usually do stuff like that. And I don't know why. Are they yeah. really expecting people not to show up when they spend that money for something this big? Well, this, this is it. And so, you know, one of the, you know, one of them left with her partner in a huff. And I was just like, really? And so she's been on this, you know, I hate Laverne Cox campaign ever since. And it's like, right, right. I mean, have your feelings hurt for a little bit. That's human nature. That's okay. But get uh -huh. over it. Get over it. Realize yeah. what it is and just get over it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, she a missed lot of a damn good that. talk. Because more than once I was sitting there listening to Laverne talking about her childhood and growing up and transitioning and all that. And I'm sitting there and I was like, oh, my God, that was me back in the day. I mean, granted, I'm probably 20 years older than her. Um, and then she'd say something. I was like, oh, my God, I went through that. Yeah. Oh, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things I've read, things I've seen. Uh, same, same response. Same response. Mm -hmm. that, I think that's one of the very cool and unique things about being transgender is that we all have our own individual journeys. We all have our own individual stories. But there is still that common through line that we share on on a lot of different things, mm -hmm. a lot of different things. And that that to me is 
one of the the best parts about it because there's the differences and the similarities and we're all in the struggle together. So when, you know, as I've said in a couple episodes back, when it's uh, our own our own people against our own group, I don't understand it. No. It, I don't. it boggles my mind because I want to take them and give them a good shake and say, "Hey, remember, we have a common enemy." Right. The enemy of my enemy is my enemy. You know, and it's just, well, I mean, even Warren said to me this morning, and I've heard ministers say this before, he's the United Church and Reverend Hawks, who's the, the you know, the senior pastor at MCC here in Toronto. Um, I, a kid that I mentored for a few years was going to be on Canada AM uh, the year that we had World Pride in 2014 to talk about his, you know, organization that he started Rise Against Bullying. So, and I had been mentoring him for about two years at that point. And of course, anything involving media or having to do TV or radio or anything of the sort makes him a basket case. And they said, oh, fine, I'll go with you. Don't worry. Um, so I did all the, you know, talking to the producer and sending him stuff by email and so on and so forth. We get to the studio. It's like they picked us up at like five o'clock in the morning. His Canada AM runs six to nine o'clock coast to coast. Um, and so we're sitting in the green room, you know, biding our time, watching the show from there. Right, right. And in comes, and in comes Brent Hawks. And I'm like, oh, good. Because I knew Justin didn't, that he was going to be on with Reverend Brent Hawks. And I said, I've known Brent Hawks for probably 30 years. And, and of course, as he's gotten older, he's turned into everybody's grandpa. And so... In personality like, or looks? Both. Okay. And and he just settled Justin like that, right down, because mm. he started telling him stories. And he said, and he, he says, like, let me tell you about the first, because Reverend Hawks did the first same-sex marriage in Canada. Oh. And when he did, he had to have 12 bodyguards wearing bulletproof clothing underneath his robes and had to be taken to the church by the police in an armored car. Wow. Because there were so many death threats against him and the church. Mm. And uh, and he says to Justin, he said, uh, people thought my bodyguards were 12 gay men. He says, actually, it was one really flamboyant gay man and 11 really butch lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Completes yeah, some the, of the circle. Lesbians, some of the lesbians I've known over the years, I could see that. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Me too. Me too. Um, I said, but it's like so much fun. It's, uh, and it, it, but it's just like, all you need is somebody like that just to start telling some funny stories and, you know, and people just settle right down. And he said to Justin, and he said to me afterwards, when Justin was in getting his makeup done, he said, you know, he says, I've been changing the message from the pulpit for a while now. And he says, I've been telling the congregation, you know, we need to support our trans brothers and sisters because where they are now is where we were 40 years ago. Right. And don't forget, they've been with us every step of the way. Right. And I had, yeah, I said, that tends to get left out. It does. It does. But, well, you know, then, then again, I'm a crusty, colorful old broad, and I don't really give a rat's ass what anybody <laughs> thinks. So. Yeah, well, and I think that I think that's a common thing for for most people. The older we get, the more the less we give a shit about well, a lot of different things. 
And mm-hmm. I th- and I think being trans, I don't want to say speeds up that process, but for those that are in fear, like myself, I, I hid for till I was forty, mm-hmm. and when I finally did say, no, no, this is part of me, this is who I am, I'm, I, I've got to live my life. The the I don't give a shit uh, mentality. Uh, I don't want to say started taking over, but started started growing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I still got my own battles because that's my own thing, but. It is so much more liberating and freeing to just, well, I don't want to say say what you want to say, you know, because you, you have to have be, be diplomatic at times, but not really care and say what you want to say at almost mm. any time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was like yesterday I received out of the blue, um, I had a tweet from a woman out in Alberta who is a trans woman in Alberta, out, very public. Um, works in the Alberta health system, mm. um, driving change to recognize gender, as she called it, gender uniqueness. I like that. And I said, wow, a trans woman at the, seri- at the senior levels of a provincial health organization driving change from the do- top down. And so we had quite the conversation for a few hours um, Pardon me, but I loved it because somebody had seen something I had tweeted out last week and had sent it, you know, copied it to her on Twitter. And then she followed me and sent me a tweet that said, I think we have more in common than people realize. And then she put a hashtag on it. We're in this together. Beautiful. And so it was just like, oh, my God. And we got into this conversation. Like I said, went about three hours via direct message. Oh, wow. And like in the meantime, I'm walking you know, halfway, you know, I'm walking uptown going to a book launch, my, one of my best friend's book launch last night. And like, and we're still tweeting back and forth. And I got to Starbucks a little early so I could sit and relax for a few minutes. And, and she said, you know, well, tell me more about you. And I said, I'll make it easy for you. I said, from the stuff we've talked about, here's the article that launched my writing career. The one for Living the Toronto Journal, which was my transition story. And then she said, uh, somebody said you were in a documentary. And I said, yeah, let me look up the link for you and I'll send it to you. It's on YouTube. Yeah, and I was watching that earlier myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and a few people have said, you know, like, where's the link? You know, I want to go watch it. And I said, before you do, let me tell you, we talk about stuff that we don't normally talk about in public. I said, the producers wanted us to focus on the violence that people in the trans community face every day. Um, I said, these are things that we usually, we barely talk about with each other. Um, I said, but if you also want to find people with truly dark humor, I said, hang around a lot of trans women. True. I said, said, there are a few, you know, allies. Well, well, I mean, the LGBT liaison officer for the Toronto Police Service, and she was giving a few of us a lift home last year after TDOR. Um, the first one that we did during the day at City Hall, um, some people were going on to the 519 Community Center for the, you know, the rest of the one that ran, ran the rest of the night. I was heading home. And so we started into the dark humor in the car. And I remember Nikki said, I think we've shocked poor Danielle. She says, I don't think she's heard humor quite like this before. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I said, cops are known for their gallows humor. Most first responders are. I said, but yeah, we go we go a level darker than them. <laughs> oh yeah, at times, absolutely. And I said, but it's it's how you keep your sanity. Um, 
but like Warren, Warren and I this morning, you know, the, the minister and I walking up and down the sidewalk in front of the cathedral and we're, and we're talking and he said, uh, what do you got coming up next? He said, well, I'm doing a guest lecture at Ryerson on Wednesday. And he said, what time is it? I said, 11 a.m. He said, Rachel's going. He said, good, I'm going with her. <clears throat> we'll both be there. And I'm, and it's just like, it's great that they want to come. But in my mind, I'm going, oh, shit, one more person that I'm going to be worrying about what they think about what I'm doing at the front of the room. <laughs> I said, because usually, like, the, what, the, one, the one that I did in November was 150 third-year criminal justice students. Um, and I said to the professor afterwards, is it always that quiet during a lecture? I said, because I could hear my heels on a padded cement floor. I said, and, and it's like, and I am, I am bilaterally deaf. And I said, and I could hear myself clearly walking back and forth on the, in front of the lecture hall. She said, it's never that quiet, ever. She said, but she says, I think you shocked them with your opening statement and you had, and you had them hanging and you, like, she says, you had them in the palm of your hand the entire time. That's a wonderful feeling. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, I, and I said, you know, I always have one goal with these things. If I can touch one person in the room and make a difference. And, and the job is done. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. I have the same philosophy. I, I'll, yeah. Albeit with my performing on stage in you know regular plays and shows and such, mm. but that's my philosophy. If if I can transport the audience or the listener or whoever from their world for an hour or two or whatever it is, and move them or get them to think something different or laugh or cry or whatever whatever it is at that moment in time, if I can do that, even if it is just for that one person, it's a success no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I said, and it's like those moments like that. And I said, so we did, um, I talked to her about last time because I didn't have the documentary to show them. It was still being edited. Um, this time we're going to start by showing them the, you know, the 25 minute 16 by nine documentary, the fight for trans rights, a matter of uh, a matter of life and death. Um, and I said, that ought to stun them into silence, I'm sure. Because, as I say, we talked about stuff in that documentary that we normally don't ever discuss. Um, I, we, the three of us that were in the backyard there having that conversation, um, Warren was asking me this morning, he said, how long did that go on for? I said, that was a three-hour conversation on camera. Um, I said, you know, and he said, how much shooting did they do in total? I said, about 24 hours worth. That sounds about right. Yeah. And he said, wow. He said, that was some kind of editing job. He said, to get that down to a 24-minute impactful program? And I said, yeah, pretty much. And I said, so the three of us from that backyard got together on a Saturday night to watch it live. Pardon me. And the three of us, we all did the same thing. As soon as we showed up on screen, we're like, oh, Jesus. And you hide your eyes. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. That's nature. I can't stand to watch myself. Um, and then of course, and Jeke is poking me in the ribs when I came up with the line again about, you know, it takes courage and pardon the expression, it takes balls, whether you still have them or not, it's another matter. And, uh, when, when I came out with that, and that's me being funny. Oh, I picked up on that right away. Of course. Yeah. And so I had only dealt with the associate producer. The senior producer was sitting between two of the three cameras 
And she howled with laughter when I came out with that. And she looked around one of the cameras at the associate producer, Megan. And Mia says, oh, my God, Megan, you're right. She's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Perfect. She said, I don't care if it runs long. I've got to keep that line in somehow. Uh, yeah, of course. Well, that sums up so many things. So many things on on a lot of different levels. I mean, you, you could go philosophical, you know, because a lot of a lot of trans women, you know, don't want that part of their body, but mm-hmm. it takes that part of their body to get to where they are. So it's mm-hmm. well, it's it's the same thing as you know, you can't run from your history, no matter how how I mean, and I and I'm sure you've heard this from from many of your friends and people you've crossed paths with of of how many. I've noticed more in trans women than trans men really despise their their past, whatever whatever it may be, and they they just run from it. They don't talk about it. They don't admit it. They don't share it, uh, whether it's to themselves or or their close loved ones, significant others, etc. And I, I keep thinking every time I hear or see someone do that, I keep thinking, but wait, you wouldn't be where you are now without it. Exactly. So and you I can't said, run besides, from it. Yeah, and I said, besides, <clears throat> most of the stuff out of my past is fucking hilarious. <laughs> nice. And I, you know, I said, I had, you know, my mom and I were a pair of characters. Um, <clears throat> people said, you know, you lived together all those years. And he said, well, we both said, we're both the, we both had a failed relationship and have no interest in diving into that pool again. So let's just be two single broads hanging out at home. And... Uh, and people look at me kind of funny, and I said, what, she knew? I said, honey, I came out to my mom at 16 as a woman. I said, and she didn't even blink. And she said, look, before you swallow your tongue trying to get out what you're trying to get out, I already know what you're going to say. And I looked at her and said, how? She said, sweetheart, I've known since you were a little kid. She said, the hard part for me has been having to sit here and watch as you struggled with it and wait for you to find your way to the answer. Mm. And so when <clears throat> Steph came out to me, who's you know like my trans daughter, um, you know I'm her city mom. Her her own mother is your country mom. I'm city mom. Okay, it's a good balance. Yeah, and she came out to me before she came out to her own family, and I didn't react when she told me. I just sort of like blinked and went, "Uh huh," and. Yes, and go on. (laughs) And she's like, but you're not surprised. I said, sweetheart, I had you pegged the minute I met you. And she said, well, why didn't you say something? I said, because you have to find your own way. Exactly, exactly. In my process of coming out to friends and family, I had a small handful uh, say that, or in, in not so many words. And I said the same thing to them. I said, so why didn't you talk to me about it? Why didn't you say something about it to me? Because you needed to figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. And I said, my mom was a lady who was light years ahead of her time. I said, because when we had that conversation, she goes over to the hutch, opens a drawer, pulls out this massive brown envelope, drops it on the table. And I said, what's that? She says, I've been writing, writing, sending letters away, you know, for material for years. She said, this is everything we need to know. So let's start reading. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's, that's wonderful. And I said, and for those who have asked, I said, who are really that curious, I said, if you must know, she bought my first skirt. Ah, <laughs> uh, 
gray wool plaid pleated. Perfect. That's that's just that's just lovely. I I, I hope that more parents child relationships evolve to that in the future. I mean, because you hear these stories about parents kicking their children out and not being able it to accept it. Oh, of course it does. It blows my mind. You know, the, the police committee that I sit on, the LGBTQ, pardon me, it's a long-ass name. Of this course, is why we of course. Call it, just call it CCC. We're known as the Toronto Police Service Lesbian, Gay, Bi, Trans, and Queer Community Consultative Committee. Wow, that is a mouthful. Yeah, otherwise through the TPSCCC. Um, and we regularly hear stories or get emails sent out to the committee members. Um, you know, look, this just happened up in a Northwest Division, and the parents um, suspected and found out that their daughter is a lesbian, and they've thrown her out on the street, no clothes, nothing. And, you know, the officers in that division have, you know, managed to find her somewhere to live. Um, they're currently trying to gather clothing for her. Um, you know, they're finding her some part-time work so she can stay in school you know, and feed herself. You know, they've stocked her kitchen up for her in this place. And I said, so I said, people think they're a hard-ass bunch. They're, they're the oppressors. They're the enemy. I said, they're some of the biggest hearts in town especially when it comes to kids. And I said, especially now when it comes to queer kids getting tossed out by their families. That's good to hear. Yeah. I said, so we hear about these, you know, unfortunately, it still happens. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we had four or five maybe last year. That's but four or five too many. Yeah, but then, see, we all work our contacts, too, because we're from the community side. The policing side's doing their best to make, you know, to make this kid successful. And then we call in all of our resources. You know, I call a friend who is a member of provincial parliament who's got contacts up the yin-yang and say, honey, can you, you know, can you find me somewhere for, you know, XYZ kid? They need a place to live or they need a job part time or Whatever she can usually go through her Rolodex and make it happen in an hour. Um, you know, there's other folks. You know, look, look, I need clothing in this size for a girl or this size for a boy. Oh yeah, we can do that. You know, how much do you need? Well, you know, winter coat down. Mm. You know, everything from the underwear out because this kid got tossed out with the clothes in your back, and that's it. Right. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> and I said, you know, those are the things I love getting involved in. You know, because, <clears throat> and I, this goes back to my, you know, I, I took, you know, I, I left telecom and IT for a while, and for a year I taught. Um, and <clears throat> one of the things that we used to teach in that course was the one thing that human beings want more than anything else in life, and what do you think it is? People like love, sex, money, whatever. No. What human beings want more than anything else is to make a difference. True. I said, so that last guest lecture I did, at the end, um, you know, I, like I did about 40 minutes, Danielle does about 30, 35 minutes, and then we opened it up for Q&A, figured, oh, what are they going to give us, maybe 20 minutes worth of questions, we'll let them go early? No, they kept us there almost two hours. Mm. And I said, I loved it, because the Q&A session 
they were asking questions based on what we had said from the front of the room. So they obviously heard what we had to say and were questioning different points of it or how to, or, you know, what can I do? How can I make a difference? And so we said, you know, okay, you know, it's, it's like, you know, we've run out of time, literally. Um, if you want to come see Danielle or I at the front of the room, we can talk one-on-one uh, until the next class needs the lecture hall. <clears throat> right, right, right. Um, so, you know, cause I'm sure there, you know, there's bound to be stuff that they don't want to ask in front of 150 peers. Always. <laughs> yeah. So the first young gal that came up to me and we just sort of did a little general chit chat for a few seconds and she said, okay, I've got like one question I really have to ask you. And I said, what's that? She said, can I have a hug? Can I give you a hug? That is lovely. And I said, oh, hell yeah. I said, I never turn nose down. And I asked the professor when we got together about a month ago. I said, there is more to that hug than just a hug. I said, I just, you know, I picked up energy like you wouldn't believe. And I said, so what's your backstory? She Mm. said, well, uh, she said, even I didn't know all of it. But she said, you hit on every point that she survived. She said, she was, she was homeless. You've been homeless. She's been, you know, uh, <clears throat> let's let's be honest. Let's stop calling it the polite version of sexual assault. She's been raped. You've been raped. You know, she said, you both survived violence. And she said, you both got your life back on track. She said, she's almost finished her degree. Now she wants to go out and make an even bigger difference in the community. And she said, she described you to me as, quote unquote, ballsy as fuck. <laughs> And I said, oh, hell yeah, that's me at the front of the room. Yeah. <laughs> I said, no, the funny thing is, I said, those who know me the best know that I like to not- do nothing more than to be quiet and disappear. You know, when I'm out in public, I really have to work at generating myself. And again, another distinction from when I was teaching, and it's like literally you generate the space around you, the energy, the people, how they interact, etc. All comes out of you. And so it's like if you're at the front of the room and you're uninspired and fucking boring, yeah, you know you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of dead looking faces. And but if you're you know energized and into it, and you know. I mean, I've had, <clears throat> I, I recently met somebody who was performing at a friend's birthday party, a drag queen. And she came up and said to me after she had done a number, she said, you amaze me. And I said, why? She said, because nobody's ever that present with me when I'm performing. Oh, uh, I know so that feeling. Like, yeah. She said, it's like you were sending energy waves. And yep. I said, I, ha- I am a musician. I said, I know that if people are not engaged or not looking at me or whatever, I said, I do this anytime I go to a show. I am with that person that's on stage. And it's just like more than once we will lock eyes. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, do it. You got it. You can do this. You know, come on, give me your best. Mm. And I said, it's the same when you go to see a talk. Or, or even you, more so because it's uh, it's very specific and it's addressed directly to the audience versus some sort of performance. Mm-hmm. And I said, so I, I said, I do the same thing when I'm lecturing or speaking. Um, and I said, I, I, I sort of giggled to myself last year in November when we did the guest, the first guest lecture. 
Danielle and I, because I locked eyes with a few people in the room, and they couldn't look at me for long. They had to look away. Oh, it can be intimidating. It can be intense. Yes, absolutely. And it's just like, oh, what are you nervous about? Because I start these the same each time. I stand there with my hands on my hips, looking over the top of my glasses, and said, just so you know, I am a colorful old broad. I said, so if you blush or embarrass easily, I suggest you do it now and get it out of the way because you don't want to miss any of the gold that I'm about to dump on you here. Good and opening. I, yeah, and I said, also, I said, as much as I try not to, I said, I will say fuck frequently. <laughs> I said, because sometimes it's the only way, it's the only appropriate punctuation there is. Absolutely, absolutely. It's one of those amazing words that can be used as a noun, as a verb, as an adjective. <laughs> I mean, it's and just the 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 you can the, I can't speak. The definition and intention of the word changes with the vocal inflection and delivery of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a beautiful word in that sense. It's a yes. horrible word to you know, like my son can't run around saying it, but no. but but yeah. used used appropriately, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful word. And I well, I said that I demonstrated it once doing a talk. Uh, a couple years ago, I said, there's like, fuck off. And then there's like, oh, fuck. There you and go. Like, what, the, what the fuck? <laughs> yep. Exactly. Said, my cat gives me the perfect da fuck look. <laughs> yeah. She tilts her head to one side. Yeah. And I said, which I have become rather infamous for doing myself. <laughs> because, you know, Justin, who I worked with, you know, who I was telling you about the Canada AM thing. Right. Um, he, I had nominated him for an Inspire Award back in 2014. And they would very strongly suggested that the person who nominated you should attend with you. And I'm like, oh, my dear God. And I talked to the president of the organization who I now work with on the board. And I said, Antoine, what the fuck am I going to do? And he said, what, honey? I said, I have literally just begun transition. I said, I'm going to be in a room with four or 500 other people presenting as a female for the first time in public. Good fucking luck trying to get me off the ceiling. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, honey, this is community. This is family. He said, nobody's going to bat an eyelash. He said, if anything, you're probably going to get extra hugs because people will know that you're nervous. Yes, yes. Um, and so I went and I literally glued myself to a wall because I thought, oh, my God, could I be any more visibly trans? <laughs> I'm only I look, I'm just literally started estrogen. I've been on blockers for six weeks. I've just started taking estrogen. I look horrendous <laughs> and nobody batted an eyelash no and i said of course my big thrill was when justin was named the recipient of youth of the year that i had nominated him for and his mother was there i was there and we both went yes <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> they read his name from the envelope <laughs> Perfect. And we kind of knew we were there at that point. Well, the experience I personally had, you know, it was it was enough of a thrill seeing Justin win 
you know, or I said shape name the recipient because they don't have winners. They have recipients. Right. Of course. Um, <clears throat> it was enough of a thrill watching that happen. But the, re- you know, the way I felt that night and the way I was treated made me join the board of directors. That's so lovely. I part, you know, so like last year was like my first awards on the board, which, which meant, Ooh, I have to be on stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And present an award and be part of another presentation of a lifetime achievement award. Oh dear. And it's just like, and I'm like literally in the mirror at home. Uh, Steph was here. I said to her, I said, all right, I'm way behind on my schedule today. So I said, you go ahead and do your makeup. I haven't even had a shower yet. I need to hop in the shower. And she says, okay, when, when you get out of the shower, I'll, ma- I'll do your makeup. Don't put your wig on right away. Okay. I said, so up until that point, the only person who had ever seen me without a wig on was Steph. Oh, okay. You know, I wouldn't even go down to the garbage chute without putting a wig on. I understand. I completely understand. Oh, yeah. And so we got there, and I had taken Steph on purpose because I saw shy and anxious, and it's like I saw me at that age. Uh, you know, she was just coming up on 19. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, you know, she was my guest for the night, so she sat with me in the VIP section. I made sure that she sat with her good ear to the stage because she's deaf in one ear, profoundly deaf in her left ear. Mm. <clears throat> so I, you know, arranged that we would sit so her right ear was to the stage so she could hear. Right. <clears throat> um, and then Justin said, he said, well, I'm coming up from Fort Erie to go to come to the awards. And I said, oh, good. I said, I have to introduce you to Steph. And he goes, Stefan? Yeah. Oh, my God. I've been following him at the time since we were both like in high school when he used to do a game, you know, a gaming channel on YouTube. Oh, wow. These two have been talking for years, but have never met in person. Ah, uh, and you were that catalyst. That's that's awesome. That was me. Yeah. And so we arranged for Justin's bus fare. Um, one of our guests couldn't make it at the last minute, so we had a hotel room for him to stay at while he was in town. We comped him a ticket to be at the awards, and I get this panic text. The, the reception had just begun. Um, the VIPs and media are in for the first 45 minutes. Then general admission comes in at 645. And I get this panic text from when I'm looking at my phone. I'm somewhere on King's College Circle. And I don't know where the hell I am. Can you come get me? I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> I happened to look through a window and, at Hard House, and I saw him walking by in the street. Mm. And I'm yelling at the door as I'm running across the garden. Open that goddamn door quick! <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to stop. <laughs> wow. And I literally ran out the front. I ran out the door of Hardhouse, and it, just as he was coming by, and I went, Justin! Hmm. And he froze, because he knows my bark. <laughs> and he frozen, and frozen spot, and he looks back over, and he's looking right at me. And it's like, I see this face in the mirror every day. I don't really see... The changes that other people do. Right, of course. That's human. That's, that's just the and way we hasn't are. Seen, yeah, and he hasn't seen me in person for over a year. Oh. And he's looking right at me, and there's no recognition whatsoever. Mm. So I put my hands in my hips, 
rocked back on one heel, turned my head sideways and went, duh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) His mouth drops open. I thought his eyes were going to pop out of his head. Oh my God, is that you? (laughs) Beautiful. I said, who the hell else would it be? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Who else barks like a cop? Come on. Because <laughs> uh, people call that my cop voice when I project. Yeah, um, I could see that. I could see yeah. that with a lot of people because it comes from the uh, diaphragm. Uh huh. Well, and, and somebody said, "How do you do that?" And I said, "I was stage trained when I was in high school." There you go. I said I could stand on the back corner of a stage and talk to the very back chair in the auditorium and not yell. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you speak in my language, Christine. Uh huh, honey. <laughs> Absolutely. Come on. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, and uh, you know, we get into these things. And so um, I went up on stage. I was uh, presenting Person of the Year. Um, and, you know, and I, and I, like, the first two presenters ahead of me had been very quiet and very mousy and talked way too fast. Yeah. And, <clears throat> of course, I walk up on stage. Now, stage lights being what they are, you can't see past the first row anyway. Right, it's yeah. just a black hole. Yeah, of the big void. Yeah. So I walked up, took a deep breath, looked at them, and said, "Well," <laughs> and launched into the script. Mm. Um, you know, the show the bio videos for the for the nominees. Oh, couldn't get the damn envelope open. They must have glued it with crazy glue for Christ's sake. <laughs> well, they didn't want anybody getting into it. Yeah, and it's just like I finally get the envelope open, and I looked over my glasses, and I went, "Finally." <laughs> mm. And then pulled it out, and I had to pause for a minute because I looked at the name, and I went, really? (laughs) (laughs) Don't let it show. Don't let it show. (laughs) Uh, So we present the award. The the recipient does her speech, um, shuffle everybody off the stage, and I make a beeline out the door because I'm busting for a cigarette at this point. (laughs) Um, Luckily, I thought to bring my, you know, clutch with me up on stage where I had my cigarettes hidden in the bottom. Okay. And so I go outside for a cigarette. Justin comes running out for a cigarette. And he goes, oh, my God, who are you? I said, what? He said, that woman on stage was not the woman I knew a year ago. Oh, wow. And I said, you want to know something? I said, my doctor keeps telling me the same thing. He said to me, because I had just passed the one-year mark on HRT uh, when the awards rolled around. I, I was dressed to the nines that night. And people told me afterwards, he said, yeah, you were easy to find. All we had to do was look for the neon white hair and the big bra- <laughs> and big smile. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that wig did kind of stand out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that's not normal, not natural, of course, is going to stand out. Yeah. And I just like the color. That's why I bought it. Well, that's all that matters. Yeah. Just yeah, you also realize that this may turn heads. Mm. Not that I really cared anyway, but <laughs> Oh right. Well that's a whole other thing. Caring versus yeah, not caring. Like, oh honey, if you really need to look, let me give you a good look. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and I said to him, I said I said to Jen, I said to him, Yeah, I said my doctor keeps telling me that that the person he that I was at that point one year into transition on HRT Versus who he had known me to be the previous three or four years that he had been my doctor. He took over from the doctor I had for 20 years before. And he said, oh, my God. He said, like, the difference is night and day. Hmm. 
And it was also at the one-year mark in my transition that he weaned me off finally from all of the anti-anxiety and antidepressant meds I used to take. Oh, okay. So for the first time in 30-plus years, I was unmedicated. Mm. And he said to me, he said, you know, I've read about this in textbooks. I've never had a patient where I've seen it happen so dramatically. And I said, what's that? He said, transition was the best cure for your anxiety and depression. Mm. He said, all you needed to do was live your truth. Mm. And it's like, well, some bitch, how about that? <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. When you need a professional who specializes in writing, photography, or web design, contact Tom Slayton. At Tom's website, TomSlayton.com, you'll find brilliant WordPress themes, discounts and links for fantastic online services, and sage wisdom from the master himself, Tom Slayton. TomSlayton.com even features a wonderful eclectic collection of photographs seldom seen elsewhere. Visit TomSlayton.com. That's T-O-M-S-L-A-T-I-N.com. Uh, TomSlayton.com. Tom, thank you so much for being a sponsor of the show. It is so wonderful to have you there. It is so wonderful to know that you're out there sharing and supporting and, and being part of the show. I really do appreciate it, probably more than you know. So, folks, share the love. Spread the love. Pay it forward. Go visit TomSlayton.com. I've said before in many episodes, it's like a rest stop on the internet. If you just need a place to let your brain go for 30 seconds to take it away from whatever the hell you're doing, go to TomSlayton.com. Check out his photography. It's amazing. Some of it is just so, I, I mean, it would be wonderful to have as a piece of art on the wall. That's how wonderful his photos are. And it's a great rest stop on the internet. So go show TomSlayton.com some love and tell them Charlie sent you. And now back to my conversation with Christine Newman. And it's like, well, some bitch, how about that? <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. And I see, it's really basic stuff. I mean, I've, you know, well, I mean, Warren and I were talking this morning while we were out on, uh, you know, on the lines, walking up and down, holding our signs. And he said, uh, you know, because he said, to, even to them, you know, a gay couple, they really had no inkling of trans people. Right, of course, of course. You know, until they met their first one up close and personal about 10 years ago. Pardon me. And they watched her go through the various stages until she finally reached the stage where she said, I need to do this. And began to medically transition. <clears throat> um, and then, of course, they're like, you know, two dads to my best friend, Rachel, who just adores the ground that they walk on. And I can see why, because two bigger characters you'll never meet. <laughs> and uh, Warren and I were talking this morning, like I said, you know, walking back and forth with our signs. And he said... He says, how many, how many trans people do you know? I said, oh, honey, I've known hundreds and hundreds over the years. I said, the funny thing is, I said, not to brag, I said, but I've kind of become a den mother to many. <laughs> just because I've been around for bloody ever. <clears throat> I said, you know, I said, consider it this way. I said, I came out 36 years ago. 
I said, I didn't start to transition until 50, which was two years ago because it was finally available to me. And um, I said, in the past year, I've helped. Uh, well, in the past two years, it's all it's uh, 15 people now mm. that I've set up with a doctor and got them started in transition. And I've, I tell them, I said, it's not the same for every two people. <clears throat> I said, you may take a look at everything and all the side effects and pitfalls and what's reversible and what isn't. And you may look at all that and say, you know what? This ain't for me. I said, here's the thing. You are still trans. Exactly. I exactly, said, yeah. It, the medical transition doesn't make you trans or not. Yeah. I said, it's the same with surgery. I know, I have, God knows I have met them over the years. Uh, trans men, not so much trans men, mostly trans women. And it's just like, okay, when they gave you your vagina, did they take your brain out through the same goddamn hole? <laughs> because they get this snooty, bloody attitude. Well, you're not a real woman unless you've had the surgery. I've, I've crossed paths with people like that, yeah. And it's just like, oh, honey, really? And it's just like, I know, I have known, and I still do know, trans women who are more of a woman than you, sweet cheeks, and they can't transition for medical reasons. Yep. You know, diabetes or cardiac issues or, you know, various other and sundry things that will prevent you from being able to go on hormone replacement therapy. I said, they would give up body parts gladly to be able to, but they can't. Not right. as it stands currently. I mean, science is still chugging away. I said, they may come up with a way for them to do it eventually. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think there's a lot of uh, eventually things in our medical uh, future that mm -hmm. will benefit specifically the trans community and other people and communities and such, but will be definitely benefit uh, trans community. Well, that and there's there's also a lot of things that are being worked on that won't you know will yeah like, as you say will not only be just focused on trans people, but this is going to be applicable to everybody, right? If you fall within whatever parameters they are, you qualify mm -hmm. regardless of, of identity or gender or orientation or age or what have you. And I mean, I, I look at some of these developments they're working on. Like it's, you know, and I, we were laughing this morning because I said, I live to make my doctor blush <laughs> because he's young and cute, but married, unfortunately. Uh -huh. <laughs> I said, not that I go that way anymore because... I am one of those people who found a definite change in preference during transition. I've read about that. Yeah. I was very pansexual before, uh, leaning more to the male side of the spectrum. Uh, these days, I'm a certified card-carrying dyke. <laughs> now, now, in being attracted to the male uh, gender and identifying mm. person, was that something in your youth as well, or or was that something always you... always was always okay? So yeah. did you did you did you face a a point in time where you came out as gay? Um, I I'll, I'll tell you how it happened. <clears throat> um, you know, at sixteen, of course, it was impossible to transition. Because the way that the things things were set up at that time, you had to be of a certain age. Yeah, a certain age. I, you had to live as a, live as your preferred gender for a year before HRT oh, could even, even happen. Worse, it was even worse than that. You had to be in a stable married relationship. Oh my! 
for a minimum of two years. Wow. And be in a stable full-time job, minimum two years. Wow. And so you're a trans woman and you want to transition. Okay, so first of all, you're going to go through conversion therapy, which I did in my 20s, and I did not last long before I told them to shove it up their ass sideways and walked out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it, it, you know, the, it loosened a little bit and I was in my late 20s. It's like, okay, let's try it now. I think I can squeeze into this. Right. And this is, uh-uh. this is in Canada. Yeah. Okay. But when I was a teenager, it was all of that, you know, plus conversion therapy, electroshock therapy, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. Oh, my. Psychotropic drugs. I mean, basically, they put you through all kinds of hell to try and convince you that you weren't. That you were just straight and confused. That's the way things were done in the 60s and 70s. And it's just like, and my doctor asked me when I brought this up with him. Um, he said, asked me a few things. He said, why didn't you do this with your former doctor? I said, my former doctor is old school gay male. Nothing they hate more than trans people. Mm. Sorry, it's a fact. Look it up. Yeah. And I said, I would never have brought this up. I would have had to change doctors. I said, then when he retired and you took over, and you were not old school gay male, but you were LGBTQ friendly, you know, an ally, um, then you wouldn't, of course, you wouldn't expect doctors to have hang-ups about such things, but they do. Right, right. And I said to him, uh, and you were young, which meant you're more current. You I could talk to about it. Because there were things that I was never comfortable talking to my former doctor about. Him I can talk about anything with. You know, my current doctor. And <clears throat> so he asked me when I first brought up the topic, you know, and, and it was funny because the first thing he did was change my file hmm. to show my gender is female. And my female name, so that anytime I go anywhere within that health system, I'm called Christine and referred to as Miss. That's fantastic. And I said, even if some, you know, tight ass behind the, behind the counter at reception has got an issue with it, they know better than to even look at me funny. Good. Good. So, I think we need more of that. Exactly. I mean, now, granted, that's going the first step. The, that's the first yeah. step. Being accepted as, as you want to be accepted. Uh-huh. Especially within the medical community. Yeah. Regardless so, of how you're presenting. Regardless yeah. of how you're presenting that specific day. If you want to be addressed one way, mm-hmm. let it happen. Mm-hmm. Especially with computers. Because the rest of the computer, the file is all there. They can read about it. They don't have to ask questions. They don't have to bring it up and verbalize. You know, unless it's a poignant thing at that moment in time. You know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, and it's so funny because, you know, of course, I love to have fun with him because he's young and he blushes easily. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and there were certain, you know, and there's certain things that, you know, face it, when you're, when you're a trans woman and in transition, there are certain medical tests and procedures and checks that you have to have done on a regular basis, which most people would probably find pretty damn invasive. But guess what, sweet cheeks, if you want to do this real bad enough, you're going to have to put up with it. Right. There are sacrifices. There are, are things that you have to do that you may not like. There's, that exactly. happens with everybody in life. Of course. And so he asked me, he said, when we were having, so he said, okay, we, to get things started, he said, we're going to have three appointments, 45 minutes long. 
these are conversation appointments. He said, the first one, he says, I'm going to go through a lot of questions with you. I'm going to ask you a lot of stuff. I'm going to ask you to dredge up a lot of shit from your past. He said, because it's how I'm going to establish the diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And so I we had something had very similar. Yeah. And we had that appointment and went through everything. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, you fit it perfectly. He said, you're a classic definition of gender dysphoria. And I said, well, that's good to know. At least they did something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, I got that too. I was like, well, okay, so I am thinking correctly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just spent the last you know, three, three uh, appointments and however many hours saying it, and I'm glad you agree. Next. Yes. Yeah, and so he said to me, when did you first want to transition? And I said, had I had my preference, I would have transitioned at 16 when I came out. And he said... He said, you'll pardon my phrasing on this. He said, I don't mean to be offensive, but it was pretty fucking barbaric back in those days compared to what we do now. Mm. And I said, yeah. Good, he recognized and, you know, it. Even, and I, and I, I was, nobody was more shocked than me to find out that he specialized in trans health and medical school. Oh, wow. Perfect. So it's like, I got the perfect person here. And... A lot of times we'll be discussing something, and he said, you know, I'm going to bow to your experience because you've lived this a lot longer than I have. He said, you probably read more than I have. He said, you're probably better versed in this stuff than I am. He said, and I'm the one with the, with the MD. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I said, I'm lucky. I said, I was blessed with mom's sense of curiosity. Um, I said, and her Mensa level IQ, too. <laughs> uh-huh. I said that, and I'm just like her. Something will strike my fancy, and I will dig, and I will dig up research papers and books and manuals and textbooks, and I will uh, like I will study this like a university course. Like when she was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, Ugh. my mom in 2010, I had to become an instant expert. Right. And I said, you know, I had never heard of glioblastoma multiform before. But damn, I became an expert on it pretty bloody quick because as it progressed, nobody could advocate for her except me because she couldn't speak eventually. Mm. And so uh, it was funny because when she eventually had to go into palliative care um, and her palliative care doctor started telling me all these medical details and I said, honey, we need to get something straight quick. I said, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on television. <laughs> I said, you're going to have to dumb it down for me heavily. Uh, I said, I've, I've read a lot. Um, I said, but I said, just enough to get by so I can advocate for her in the healthcare system. So, um, you know, my doctor and I are the same way. So he said, okay, so that's the end of the first appointment. He said, the next appointment, we're going to go through hormone replacement therapy and all the side effects. And as I've said to friends of mine who are in their 40s now, I said, oh, honey, wait till you're 50. Mm. I said, because every time you go to the doctor after you hit 50, you're going to hear, well, now that you're 50. (laughs) (laughs) And it's usually when I look over my glasses and say, honey, I might be over 50, but I ain't dead yet. (laughs) Right. Um, I said, but, you know, I said, get get ready. I said, because a lot of stuff happens after 50 that doesn't happen before 50. So I said, be prepared. Um, pardon me. So we went through, you know, all the ins and outs and side effects and pitfalls and what's reverse, pardon me, what's reversible and what isn't. 
And I, I said, okay, so what do we do next? He said, take all this paperwork home with you and read it. I said, I can't sign it right here. He says, no, you need to take it away for a minimum of two weeks. Read it, consider it, study it. He said, and then come back for an appointment in two weeks and we will discuss it again. He said, and if I'm convinced that you're okay with all the possible pitfalls and side effects, then we're going to go. He said, then you can sign it and I'll give you your first prescription. Hmm. And I said, so it took basically a month from when I first brought it up with him uh, until I got my first prescription. And I said, wow, things have changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big change from, from our past. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, he, I mean, and he loves it now. He said, because, he says, I love all the stuff that you're involved in. He said, I know you were involved in a lot of stuff before. I said, well, I've been an activist and an advocate for over 30 years. Yeah. I've had my fingers in a lot of pies over the years. Um, a friend and I were comparing notes at Pride last year before the Dyke March started. And, uh, and I said, and we were saying, how long has it been for you? And she said, well, this is my 30th. And I said, yeah, mine too. I said, this is my 30th year at Pride. Wow. And I said, boy, have things changed from like a little parade down Church Street to this massive event. And this year in Toronto, it's going to be an entire month. Oh, wow. That's the fantastic. Entire, yeah, the entire month of June is going to be Pride Month. That's great. You know, I, I don't see why more cities, especially here in San Diego, we've got Pride Weekend. And it is, mm-hmm. it is just a, an ongoing party. It, I mean, it shuts down like at midnight or something on, you know, Friday, Saturday. But it starts up again, I think, 9, mm-hmm. 10 the next day. Yeah, I, I, I've only been to a couple uh, it, here in San Diego. But uh, in the past, before I even came out to myself... I I had gone to support, you know, friends and things, and it was just a huge party. But even in the, oh, I think it was about 20-year difference, it, it the size has just, it, it's blown my mind how much it's grown in just 10 years. Mm-hmm. And continues to grow. Well. But more cities <laughs> need them. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, I know for a lot of years, it was just a freak show for most people. Right, yeah, of course. Oh, I remember hearing that Young on the news, too. Yeah. Let's go down to Young Street and watch the Freaks on Parade. And God knows the right-wing media, the yeah. tabloid press, yeah. you know, played everywhere. it that way. And, I mean, I remember the first year we hit a million attendees. Nice. And, you know, the more center or liberal, you know, left-of-center papers reported it, what the police said, the crowd estimates were a million people. The right-wing press said a few. Oh, wow. This is like, really? A few. A few. A few thousand? Yeah, maybe a hundred thousand if you really push the numbers. And it's like, oh, people, get your head at your ass because you've been smelling your own farts too long and your brain's (laughs) atrophied. Well, here in San Diego, the festival part, you, you have to buy a ticket to enter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just makes sense because there's performance venues and bands and, and uh, a bunch of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Carts for information and uh, items to purchase. I mean, it's just a massive thing. So they obviously have a headcount because they're collecting ticket money. 
So trust well, see, that count. Yeah. Well, see, here in Toronto, it's always been free and open. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. I mean, the parade is free here, and some mm-hmm. of the stuff on the parade route is free, but the festival part uh, is, is you got to buy an entrance ticket, which is okay because, you know, they rent the space, they rent the people to watch the gates, they rent the gates, so it's a gated area during that time. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I totally understand the cost of things. Oh, yeah. No, um, I, I love it here because it's free, open, anybody can go. That's fabulous. And I, was, I, I went and sat in on a meeting um, slash focus group last year with Pride. Uh, and it, I, I remember it was hilarious that day because I was in the studio taping an interview for the TV show uh, that I'm part of. I'm part of the reporter's team for it um, here in town called On the Couch. Yay. And uh, and I, I said I remember it well because it was my the first time I'd done an on camera interview. I was nervous as hell. Well, yeah, of course. And first I time for everything that, is always a little yeah. nerve wracking. And and of course, the person I was interviewing was nervous as hell too. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. You're together in on it. That's a good thing. And so it took us two hours to do a three and a half minute segment. Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> oh my God! What an editing job. I said, but we had more laughs. But it was funny. At one point, the director looks at me around his camera and he said, sweetheart, for fuck's sake, this is not the six o'clock fucking news. Uh Will you loosen up? Uh He said, I want sassy bitch, not the fucking anchor of the six o'clock national news. (laughs) Nice. Well, he knew knew how to give you the direction. Yeah. Yeah. and I mean, this last week, I just taped an interview with the comedian Martha Chavez. And Martha, I've known for a long time. I love her to bits. Her wife is absolutely adorable. I have to look her up. Yeah, we, we taped the interview last Wednesday. And Martha said to me, do you, are you always like this? And I said, huh, how do you mean? And she said, one take and you nailed it? Mm. These days, Yeah. I said, I'm, I'm called One Take Christine, yeah. That's good, that's good, that's good. I said, because once again, but the first, the first time it was so funny because we, we, we finally, we, we sat around having a beer afterwards and we finished taping. And then I looked at my watch and I go, good God, I've got a motor. I've got to get across town to the Pride offices because there's this community meeting tonight. Um, and it was a select group and we were deciding on discussing the theme for this year. Each year has a theme. Of course. And so this this year, they wanted to focus on mental health. That's one of my hot button issues. Yay! Perfect. So, the theme for this year, for Pride 2016 in Toronto, is "You Can Sit with Us." Hmm. Which is a play on words from the Mean Girls movie. You can't sit with us. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, this year it's "You Can Sit with Us." That's great. And I said, here's the kicker this year. The Canadian Prime Minister is going to march in the Pride Parade. Oh, fabulous. Justin That's... Trudeau has and he said it publicly. He says, I will be there this year to march in the Pride Parade. Fabulous. So I said, we've got Mayor John Tory, who loves to wear his proud mayor T-shirt. <laughs> um, the, pro- the provincial premier, Kathleen Wynne, the first out lesbian married premier. Ever. And Justin Trudeau, 
Prime Minister of Canada, marching together in the Pride Parade. What a combo. I said, Is that a big step for Toronto? Hmm? Is that a big step? I mean, it would be a big step here, of course, but is it a big well, step to, for to Toronto? Get the, the, to get the mayor and the and premiers, pretty easy, except for the mayor we had before, because he was a bit of a twit. <laughs> That's one of the nicest words I can say. You don't want to get me going, because you'll have to edit it all out. Okay. <laughs> um, he refused to show up at anything around hmm. the gay community. Hmm. Absolutely. Because he was so right-wing, he'd make people like Donald Trump look like a lefty. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, the when John Tory took over as mayor, the difference was noticeable right away. Even though John Tory's, you know, right of center, um, PFLAG has their flag raising at City Hall at the ceremonial flagpole every year on May 17th, the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. Great. Last year, who's front and center? Our, our proud mayor. And then afterwards, he stopped and chatted with everybody. And somebody said to me, well, what's so impressive about him? I said, honey, do you know a mayor from the past 50 years who would have stood and talked to somebody like me for 15 minutes, one-on-one. And then we took a picture together, which was in the papers because he had just said something off color and I roared with laughter and that's the best when they took the picture. Okay. (laughs) Cause he said to me, do you want to stand on my right next to Susan? We were holding the trans flag, the five stripe. Right. And I said, Oh no, that's all right. I said, that's right, John, just stay there. I'll just, I'll just shuffle into your left. And he looked at me, and out of the corner of his mouth, he said, that's all right, I'm used to people standing on my left all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I roared, and that's when the shutters snapped. (laughs) Good moment. Good moment. And so when we have, every year Toronto PFLAG has a brunch on Sunday of Pride. And it's the annual brunch. There's a couple hundred people come to it, and you've got everybody. The mayor's there. The premier's there. Um. We have all of our, I I call them my rainbow cops, are there. Mm -hmm. And this past year, I had my trans daughter there. Oh. Her first time presenting as a female in public. Fabulous moment. I remember that well. Yeah. And she was so nervous. Of course. Of course. And And she's like texting me from the lobby of the building where the Irish pub is that they have this. And she's like, I'm having such a panic attack. Can you come out and get me? And it's just like, yeah. And so I, and I was sitting with all of my rainbow cops, who I absolutely adore. And I said, all right, kids, I have to go out and get the kid. Um, I'll be back. <laughs> and on my way out, I checked in. And, I, and I, I'm making note of, okay, Ann Creighton, the president of Toronto P Flags there. Marla, the vice president's there. There's Jill over there. All right. And there's somebody else I know over there. So I know what route to bring her back in because she's going to get P-Flag mom hugs all the way in. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, I even have a button that says honorary P-Flag mom. Hmm. And uh, so 
um, I went out and I literally had to hug her for like a few minutes just to get her to calm down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, how come you never tell me what other people do to breathe? And I said, because, honey, I suffer from panic attacks. You don't need to breathe. You need to exhale. Yeah. I said, because when you're having a panic attack, you're going, <gasps> and you don't exhale. I said, then you can't take any more air and then you start to panic even worse because you think you can't breathe. I said, what you need to do is go. <sighs> exactly. Exactly. I said, so I just held on to you real tight until you went. <sighs> I said, then I knew you were ready. I said, so I took her by the hand and took her in to the, into the end of the Irish pub. And I went and I purposely ran her past every P flag mom on the way in. Good. And so she got hugged like she's never been hugged before. Gathered all that energy. That's what great. Everybody just had to make a fuss over her. And then she said, where are we sitting? And I said, well, I said, just put your stuff down over here. And I said, and I'll introduce you to everybody at the table when we get back. Let's get you up to the buffet and, and get your breakfast. And so took her up. Low, I, I mounted her plate up on purpose. <laughs> Pardon me. Just keep, her, keep her busy eating. She won't notice how nervous she is. True. And then brought her back down and sat her with all my favorite rainbow cops. Who are such absolute characters. And all adorable and absolute sweethearts. And they treated her like one of their own. Perfect. And so I, I asked one of the cops there, one of the staff sergeants, I said, listen, honey, can you do me a favor? We're going to pose her in the midst of all of us. Take a picture for me with my phone, would you? Mm. And she said, yeah, okay. And so we snapped, fired off about three or four pictures. And she said, what are you going to do with this? I said, watch. Sat down at the table, posted it to her posted it to her mother's Facebook page. Oh. And I said, Catherine, country mom, can't say that I don't look after your baby when she's here in town because look at her bodyguards. <laughs> she's standing in the middle of five cops and me. Fabulous. That's great. And I said, and I said it was perfect, you know, because they give her one of the rub-on, you know, temporary uh, rainbow tattoos they had made. Okay. Which is the Toronto Police logo done in the rainbow flag colors. Nice. And I said, <clears throat> and I said, it's something to see. You know, I mean, they have this, they had a huge float last year. And I said, and you've got cops and their partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, you know, marching in the parade in uniform with pride epaulets on their uniform shirts. Now, when I worked at 22 Division in the summer of 81, you would never have seen that. No, no, you'd never have seen anything like that in the past at all. No. Even, even here, even here. I mean, I'm, I'm, no. I'm sitting here trying to think, do we have something like that? Do we do, but not as profound or prolific. And see, the previous chief, Bill Blair, is a huge supporter of the LGBTQ community. He was the one when he was deputy chief that started the community consultative committees. You know, there's, you know, they're by ethnic group, by area. Okay. Okay. We're really the only one that's citywide, the LGBTQ CCC. Mm. And <clears throat> the new chief, Mark Saunders, has picked up the baton and moved it even further forward. Like, Right now, the police service internally is reviewing every document, every form, every procedure from top to bottom 
to make sure that the language is now gender neutral and inclusive. Oh, that's, that is a huge step. That is a huge step. I wish, I wish we had something like that here. Yeah. It's, it's like now if somebody who is trans identified is arrested and taken into division, they are asked, how do you identify? How do you wish to be referred to? That's good. That's a big step. And are housed accordingly. That's a big step. That's great to hear. And I said, the thing is, is that we didn't have to push for this. This is coming from the top down. That's, that's, that makes it all the better. You know, like these are things that are like on my nice to have list. <laughs> yes, yes. And <clears throat> so this year at headquarters, they're going to have their first ever gender neutral washrooms. That's, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. We were, where the hell did we go? We went to some, we went up to north to Orange County to some school campus for uh, something. And there was a family bathroom, gender neutral bathroom, two of them actually, right mm -hmm. on campus. And that was, that just warms my heart to see those steps being taken. And the funny thing is, is that, you talk to people like the former chief who just before his retirement met with our committee and specifically to the trans women on the committee said, I need to clean something up with you folks first, particularly you ladies. And we're looking at him and it's like, what's that? Right. He said, when I started as a street cop in the 70s, I was the most ignorant prick on the street. He said, I used words, terms, and language to refer to particularly trans women. He said that I am embarrassed by now. He grew up. That's good. He said, so... Before we do anything else, will you accept my apology for being such an ass? Bravo. And it's just like, we've come a long way, baby. Oh, yeah. Ah, Christine. Christine, thank you so, so very much for taking the time and being on the show. It... It warms my heart every time I hear our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so, so very much. Folks, be sure to, be sure to check out that 16 by 9 video. The link is in the show notes. And follow her on Twitter at HeyWriterGirl. Girl has the double R, G-R-R-L. Follow her now. All right, brief secondary topic for this episode, only because this episode is dropping and releasing on the 1st of April. How could I not talk about April Fool's Day, at least April Fool's Day in America? Now, the thing I have never understood is April Fool's Day. It's not fun except to the person committing the joke. The person that the joke is on, they might laugh, but they usually don't like what's going on. I never did. I never liked it. And I'm talking about some of the 
stupid April Fool's ones, not the ones where, you know, they're pretty clever. Those, okay, fine. But that falls into the realm of practical joke, which could happen at any time of the year. But the typical April Fool's thing, I don't understand. I want to say to people that still try to celebrate April Fool's, grow up. Grow up. We're not in grade school. We don't need these cheap parlor tricks to get a laugh at someone else's expense. Well, there's our closing show music. Of course, it's time to wrap up the show. Thank you again, Christine, for being on the show. Thank you, Tom Slayton, for sponsoring the show. And thank you, Caitlin G., for being patron of the episode. Next episode, of course, is going to be my part two of my conversation with Christine Newman. We're going to pick up right where we left off and continue on. I'm always looking for guests. I'm always looking for topics. Send them my way. Changes in Latitudes podcast at gmail.com. And now, as Jimmy Buffett says, if I couldn't laugh, I just would go insane. If we couldn't laugh, we just would go insane. And if we weren't all crazy, we would go insane. Stay crazy, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Take care of someone else. And I'll see you next week. to Changes in Latitudes, a transgender experience. I'd love to hear from you, so let me know what you think or what you'd like to hear about by emailing me at changesinlatitudespodcast at gmail.com or by leaving a comment on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash changesinlatitudespodcast or at the website changesinlatitudespodcast.blogspot.com Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and please leave us reviews and star ratings. Now, wait for it. Here it comes. Disclaimer time! Disclaimer time! Disclaimer I am not a doctor nor a lawyer, and I certainly do not pretend to be one. I am a trans woman who began her transition later in life. I am here to discuss my life, so I take no responsibility for your decisions based on my personal thoughts and experiences. If you are thinking about transition or are questioning your gender identity, first, please know that you are not alone in your thoughts and questions. Second, please seek the advice of a qualified gender therapist or at the very least a local support group. If you're having difficulty finding a qualified professional in your area, I suggest reaching out to the closest LGBT center near you. And lastly, please remember, always question the source when researching information on the internet. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permission from the host. Copyright 2016 by me, Charlie Sabrina Miller. Thanks for listening. Here's the end. Thanks for listening. And remember...